Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Devs, where we talk about the show Devs on Hulu on FX or FX on Hulu. We'll we'll never actually get that straight. But yeah, we uh, watched episode seven last night. I've been percolating on it for the last 18 hours and want to discuss it and uh, loop you all in. And uh, today, as always, I'm joined by Jimmy. How's it going, Jimmy? Doing great. I'm excited to talk about this episode. I think there's a lot to discuss. I think so, too. I had many more notes from this episode. Uh, it was it was one of the probably the most tense hours of TV I've experienced, not in the normal, uh, you know, edge of my seat just from action side, but I, I was just on edge the whole time. I think the music was done well. A lot of the scenes were were great. Uh, I was I was much more into this episode than the previous episode. So excited to to dig into it with you. Great, let's get into it. Yeah. So one one thing to note that I thought you know is worth pointing out is Alex Garden uh, Garland, the creator, uh, wrote and directed this episode, which is uh, worthy of noting. I think, especially since this is yeah probably the the most intriguing episode, uh, and there was a lot of buzz going into it uh, from. TV reviewers who had the screeners, uh, a lot of them had said, hey, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in this episode, and turns out they were right. And it opens with, you see some cavemen, and you have the audio overlay of the the grunting, kind of weird, creepy noise uh, that we, we've had in some previous episodes, uh, which, which maybe we find out later is what Forrest was watching in those caves in France 30,000 years ago, but... Uh, an interesting open uh, with the cavemen and then uh, cuts to more modern day times. Well, there's another audio piece that's playing at the beginning, correct? And then, yes, exactly what you're saying uh, starts popping up if you want to detail that. Um, Yeah, it it cuts to this other uh, piece. I believe it's called Come Out by an artist named Steve Reich. Um, And basically this piece is... um, dialogue essentially that's looped over and over again i believe daniel ham is the name of the guy that the dialogue comes from Mm -hmm. Um, and he essentially says i had to like open the bruise up and let some of the bruised blood come out to show them Um, and it's a piece of dialogue that i believe i don't want to get too much into the history of this but it comes from some interviews um, from an incident in harlem um, where six youth were arrested uh, during the riots for some murder at a fruit stand um, but basically, these six boys were in jail. They got beaten by the police. And during that time, Daniel had this quote. And so the composer, Steve, took it and composed this piece called Come Out. And essentially, he's looping it for, I think, two and a half minutes. But what's interesting is that at the beginning of the piece, it starts normal. It has that quote. And then it repeats over and over again. And as it keeps repeating, it gradually becomes out of sync. And I think by the end, you have eight different versions that are not in sync with one another, playing at the same time, and it becomes incomprehensible. And it stuck out to me because it reminded me of kind of the reverse of what Lyndon was doing in episode four before he got fired. Mm. All right. He was trying to extrapolate audio from, from the time of Jesus, and it was all just jumbled in a mess. And he applied the multi-universe theory and essentially got it down to a legible piece of audio bite. So yeah, when I, when I did some research on this come out piece, I was like, oh, this is the exact opposite of what Linda was doing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I also 
no to that when when it happened and figured there was some significance on it did did some research research myself and found that to be super interesting this this whole phase shifting of shifting the audio by a bit and then uh you know quickly get split into four and then eight and then you know by the end the words are totally unintelligible um and i thought it was really interesting and and that linden connection of the the scene with jesus makes a lot of sense i think and i think there's a lot to that and also building on top of that, just the whole multiverse uh, Everett theory where, you know, once things kind of split, they uh, shatter into these infinite possibilities in these multiverses. So I thought it was it was a it was a cool, creepy way to start the episode. Obviously, not many people are going to get that significance on, on their own just watching. So it's something you have to dive in after, which which we did, which was a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, and I had given up on searching into deeper meanings about the songs that were used in the in the episode so far because like every episode i was like oh it begins with some song and i like google yep. searched it looked for meanings and i didn't find anything but this time it, it felt like the show was actually trying to you know tie it into the narrative all right well yeah so let's let's dig into the plot so after that uh that that song uh very powerful song we go to Forrest's house where we see Forrest in the shower uh looking very kind of shaken and uh, out of it uh, as the 21 hour deadline approaches. And then we get to, uh, we see Katie in Forrest's bedroom, sitting in a chair in the corner, watching the kind of multiverse play out of Forrest's wife and Amaya on the bed, which I thought was, was interesting. I didn't quite know how to take it because we've seen a lot of Katie, especially in episode five, uh, experience the, the projections, um, and play out the future. But it's interesting seeing her, you know, which we do see a little later with Lyndon, but actually it looks like she's watching these uh, different scenarios and multiverses play out. What did you think about that? What I found interesting is we see multiple Amayas, but we only see one version of mm. Forrest's wife, which once again, I think we talked about this last, last episode, like she is so insignificant in all of this. And yeah. once again, here... We only see one version of her and it's it's like she doesn't even exist in this world yeah no i, I agree because we see like shortly after this um we see katie kind of packing up and leaving Forrest's house and then you know you see amaya's bedroom Forrest clearly left it just as it was unless that's a separate multiverse where <laughs> amaya is actually living who knows it's uh it's it's kind of tough to tell but we see that flashback again of that really powerful scene of Forrest talking to his wife in the car shortly before the crash. And, um, and yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see if the episode or the, the show in the last episode deals with the fact that again, Forrest's wife has, you know, not been named and not been discussed very much in relation to Amaya. And if there's some sort of backstory there, be kind of interested to see. We actually do find out her name in this episode. If you, um, I watch with closed captioning on and I think in the in the scene where she's talking on the car, the closed caption identified her as it's spelled L I A N E. So I don't know if that's Leanne. 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 Okay. Hmm. So interesting. I didn't catch that. That's a good one. Interesting trivia fact, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, after we leave Forest House, we cut to a really interesting scene where the the devs crew is watching the Earth and the Moon on a screen supposedly set back a billion years uh, and Stuart is sitting there surrounded by his other devs uh, and talking about how 
you know, a few hours ago we were in reality and we were working on a sim and now we've pretty much traded and looking at the earth saying that's the reality right there uh, and saying, you know, uh, it's not even a clone of reality. The box contains everything. I, I thought that was interesting. So did you, did you take that as they are, he thinks they're in a simulation or what did, cause he talks about how, you know, they've traded places. Uh, what, what did you, how did you take that, that scene? Yeah, I think this scene in particular confirmed what we hypothesized last uh, pod where we said they are, we are w- currently witnessing a simulation within a simulation and we don't know how deep we are within that, that mm-hmm. loop. Right. So, I mean, we could be five simulations deep or 10 simulations deep, but yeah, with him saying we're, there's a box inside the box, Odnasium. I think that kind of confirms everyone's theory that, yeah, we are just in an infinite loop of simulations. Yep. Yeah. That, I think that's how I took it too. And yeah. we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I question whether a projection could allow you to view Earth from space. I mean, there's got to mm. be some finite limit to what you can project. And I get you can probably view any moment in time and any, like, incident that happened but like now that you're out out in space viewing the earth from that far like i have issues with that for some reason no that's fair although counterpoint would be wouldn't it almost be easier to do a more zoomed out view of the earth as a whole than a crazy zoomed in view of every kind of little subatomic particle Um, but it feels like from there simulations they start from the subatomic level and build out from yeah, that right yeah, yeah that's true yeah though so. well okay so speaking of view and perception i have a question on the next scene which is i thought one of the coolest scenes uh of the show which is uh where they the devs are watching this and freaking out and they basically stewart cues up a, a one second projection which is essentially how it is is it's a mirror that's one second ahead and is almost is is basically predicting what the other devs in the room will do, and you see them gesticulating in front of it, and the projection being one second ahead of what they're doing, and they're freaking out. Uh, I thought this was this was one of the coolest scenes in the show. I thought, yeah, um, I think there are some things you could pick apart in there, which we might get into a little later. You know, essentially a lot around knowing, hey, one second, maybe you wouldn't be able to to do something different from what you see on the screen, but say it's like 10 seconds ahead. Clearly you you could and should be able to to do something different and uh, go against what's showing up on the on the projection. Also, speaking of percept like the perceptive angle, it is a mirror, so it's kind of weird that it flips. So it's, you know, in one in reality it's his left hand, the the one of the devs doing something, waving with it and in the uh, in the projection, it's his right hand. Obviously, they could do some sort of flipping easily, but I thought that was that was kind of interesting too. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this scene, but I think we have some voicemails and emails later that will ask the same exact yeah. thing. So I'll save I'll save my uh, longer um, thoughts on that for, yeah. for that portion. So then we 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 toggle around to a few different places, back to Forest uh, House and Jamie and Lily in their apartment. Um, one scene that I thought that was kind of, kind of fun was Forrest and Katie back in his apartment and Forrest is sitting there with Katie 
and they talk about, hey, we both know how this particular day plays out inside and out up till a point. Talk clearly referencing the 21 hour uh, static moment that's going to happen later on. And then I thought it was kind of a, a fun line where Forrest very nonchalantly deadpan says, hey, remember Lyndon's in your car. There's that whole thing. Uh, I thought it was a pretty fun scene, which I mean, granted, knowing what happens later, uh, a lot heavier. But I thought, again, some some great acting, some great delivery by Nick Offerman. It's interesting because I don't know if this was the case before, but especially in this episode, it seemed like Forrest, every, every single line he uttered, he seemed very bored with it as if he has yep. been through this scenario many, many times before. And it's just like, oh, this is what happens next. Oh, this is what happens next. <laughs> oh, this is the part where Lyndon's in your car. Like, yep. I kind of think for him, he's in a loop and he's he's done this before again and again. And, and it kind of supports what I was saying earlier. Like maybe this is just a simulation and a simulation and a simulation. Yeah. And- no, there's definitely a Groundhog Day element to this because you're going back to the, well, I guess this comes up later, the cave scene that he's clearly watched a lot of different stuff uh, on the projection. Um, and this day in particular is one where I'm sure he and Katie have watched many, many times and many multiverses and know everything down to, to a T exactly how things are going to play out. Yeah. Um, but so we'll, we'll dive into the, the Lyndon and Katie scene uh, next, but real quick after that scene with Forrest and Katie, we, we move back to Jamie and Lily in the apartment um, and they have their kind of cute wake up scene. I think that actually might've happened earlier in the episode, but we see Jamie and Lily waking up in bed together and seeming to be potentially reconnecting relationship wise. Uh, but then they start digging into you know, what's happening next. What's their plan. Uh, and you see Jamie with his stance of being very kind of anti-tech in terms of, uh, you know, talking about how the tech billionaires have too much power, you know, clearly referencing Forrest in this case. Um, and then uh, the line about they're having the tech nerds wet a stream, the one that reduces everything to nothing. Uh, so there's some pretty, pretty fun. Nothing fun but code. There. Nothing but code. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, but basically Lily's at the point where she's caught up and is really into trying to contradict their prediction by not following their plan and not going to the devs uh, headquarters. Um, And Jamie says, we fuck them up by hanging out in your apartment all day. Uh, And he, you know, thought he was going to have some crazy high speed police chase followed by 20 years in jail. Um, But, you know, they think that their way of getting around this until what happens next is to just post up in the apartment. Which sounds so simple, right? Exactly. Let's just, it's like, let's oh, you just contradict is, everyone's yeah. prediction. <laughs> Seems like it should be easy, but obviously something happens. Katie and Forrest know what will happen to change yeah. things. Um, but yeah, so then after that, we'll we'll see the consequences uh, and what plays out in that scene a little later. But we go back to uh, Katie hopping into her car and knowing that Lyndon is there and uh, Lyndon waking up. I wasn't sure if she was actually sleeping or pretending to sleep or whatever, but it doesn't really matter because uh, at the end they go out to the dam and the bridge over the dam uh, 
and um, you know they have a very interesting interaction that plays out. On, what do you want to uh, talk through? What happens over on the bridge, James? It's a pretty pretty awesome. Um, yeah. So Katie and Lyndon are now at I think what's called the Crystal Springs Dam in San Mateo, and Lyndon is basically trying to convince Katie to give him his job back. And Katie essentially says, well, I've seen this scenario play out before. And what proves to me that you are fit to get your job back is you climb over this bridge, you let go, and you essentially place your trust into the Everett theory. So in some scenarios, in some universes, you fall and you die and your consciousness goes with you. In some universes, you survive, and those are the ones in which you get your job back. So to prove that, you should climb over this bridge and let the Everett theory take its toll. And so Lyndon, believing that, climbs over, lets go, and essentially, from what we see, dies in every single scenario. Yeah, there was no scenario where she... (laughs) Comes back safely over the bridge. No, that was great. Uh, You know, there's some, you can tell Lyndon really cares about the work she's been doing. She gets so excited, like, oh, I get it. It's a perfect circle. That's elegant. That's fucking beautiful. Or many of the things she says. And uh, she clearly gets caught up in her work and cares more about that. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I, at times I thought maybe Katie was going to push her. Uh, it, this was just a really tense scene. You know, I, I was 98% sure she was going to fall no matter what, but just was very uh, curious how it was going to play out and was on the edge of my seat there. Um, so here's my question. Mm-hmm. Was Katie manipulating Lyndon to climb over? Like, did she know that in every scenario, Lyndon dies? Or maybe Katie doesn't, maybe has, Katie hasn't looked at this moment and she's like, if I say this, I will convince Lyndon to climb over and, or climb, climb over and, and cause, cause his death. Yep. So the way it feels to me, the way it's portrayed is it makes it feel like Katie knows what's going to happen uh, and is convinced of this, could potentially save her. Um, just more, more on the, the, the look that Katie has on her face and the intent. That being said, I don't think that Katie can see every possibility potentially, although you do see her sitting. Now I'm going back to Forrest's bedroom when Katie's sitting there watching potentially all of the different multiverses there. So I guess I'm a little stuck there. the, The way they frame Katie seems to be that she knows no matter what, Lyndon's going to fall and Katie just wants this day to, to proceed so she can get to the static point. Uh, but I don't know. Well, here's a qu- here's a general question I have. Mm-hmm. When you are viewing multiple projections, do you know which projection is the world you're currently in? Like, can you say, uh, okay, out of these five that I'm looking at, this is the one that I'm currently in. So I know that this is going to happen definitely in the world I'm currently living. Man, I, I don't know, to be honest. I have no idea. I still I, I struggle with a lot of things with the show. Uh, it makes you think really hard. But uh, that one, I I don't know. That's a good one. Because um, it's still unclear to me if you can see in the simulation 
the other things playing out, right? Like you, if you're follow the Everett uh, principle, like Katie and Lyndon do, you know, there are all these other multiverses happening, but can you necessarily see them all in your current universe? I don't well, know. presumably there's an infinite number of multiverses, right? Cause everything's just branching off at every single yeah. moment. So yeah. it's, it's literally impossible. Yeah, there's no to way to account for, for Yeah. Yeah. Like mm. presumably every second I am branching out into different universes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Very fair. Um, while we are talking about this scene, this reminds me that we did have a voicemail from Micah about it. So oh, I nice. if we want to play it and address what he had to say. Jimmy, Scott, it's Micah. All right. I have two questions for you. They're both about Katie. I thought this episode, episode seven, was pretty good, pretty interesting, uh, thought-provoking. The scene with Katie and Lyndon. I don't quite understand why Katie didn't just tell Lyndon not to do it. Because when they show the multiverse view, Lyndon falls off every single time, and Katie walks away every single time. So presumably, no matter how many times Katie watched this, Lyndon fell every single time and died. So Katie's pretty sure what's happening. Now, does she not tell him because she doesn't want to mess with the future? Does she not tell him because uh, she thinks there's a chance that in one of these multiverses she's ever seen that Lyndon survives? Um, I, I, I don't totally get it. It feels like she could have saved Lyndon's life there um, without testing his devotion because, um, you know, she's seen that scene so many times in the future uh, that she knows Lyndon's pretty devoted. Yeah, that's tough. I definitely along the lines of what we were, we were talking about some really good questions. I think my, my overly simplistic take is that Katie is almost, she, she looks checked out in a lot of this. And I think she's just trying to advance the game to get to the static and just move things along, uh, along the lines of what she's seen. But what do you think? I agree. I think, I think, this is what she saw play out and she's just going to stick to the script and see what happens once mm -hmm. we get to that static moment. So there's no point for her to try to deviate from that. Cause then everything becomes unpredictable. Whereas right now everything for her is predictable. And so she needs to just make sure it stays on the, on the tram lines or tr tram tracks, whatever the term they use. Um, so they can get to that outcome. Yeah. It's almost like when you're playing a video game, and you have a boss that you keep losing to, right? Like say Mike Tyson's punch out. Yeah. And along the way, you figured out every single, uh, the optimal way to proceed and get through things Every quickly. single button press and jump and like timed movement. You, you do it the exact same way, right? Every time you restart the level. Exactly. And you just keep doing that over and over again, but you get to the boss and it's too hard and you keep dying. And it, it feels a little bit like that in terms of the static. Uh, approaching that and there it feels like Forrest and Katie are just kind of bored and tired of of uh, of the reality leading up to the static and they just care about something that's going to happen at this 21 hour mark so you think this is like a groundhog day too where they've reached this static point many many times before but they keep doing the wrong thing and so now they're trying to figure out what's the right course of action to take at that at that 24 hour point I, I think it's something along those lines. Like I, okay. I think it's it's when you have all these simulations within a simulation and infinite uh, simulations and projections, it gets so crazy. 
Um, and especially when it's like they're aware of what's going on to a large extent. So uh, I do think there's, yeah, there's a big element of that going on. Here's uh, my but, crazy theory. Yeah, let's hear it. I was going to save it to the end, but I feel like since we're Ooh, talking about this, right. it might be good to just Bust throw it out. <laughs> okay, so Stuart has established that we're in a box in a box, which means we're in a simulation within a simulation, right? Mm-hmm. So what I think is Forrest has continually run a simulation within a simulation until he arrives at a point where devs doesn't exist, which means in the world that devs doesn't exist, Amaya never died because then Forrest would have never created devs. So we keep running a simulation, or Forrest keeps running a simulation, and if devs exist, he runs another simulation, and he keeps doing it until they're static, which means devs doesn't exist, because if devs doesn't exist, there's no projection, and you you can't see anything. And so I think Forrest just keeps continually going through this loop until there's that static moment, this 24-hour point, which means devs doesn't exist, and that's the world in which Amaya survives and Forrest never starts his project in the first place. Wow. Okay. I can get on board with that. I don't know if the math again making my head checks hurt. out. <laughs> but you're basically saying like the only reason that devs exist is because of because Amaya died. Correct. So if Forrest can iterate to a point where devs does not exist, it's likely that Amaya did not die. Is that what that we're was thinking? a much better way of saying it than I <laughs> just tried to explain it. But yes. Okay. No, I, I like that. Um, I can see right, that. Because if devs doesn't exist, that means, you know, Forrest is, you know, never started yep. this tech company. He's with Amaya and Leanne and they're living their life happily. Yeah. But then what happens at the 21 hour mark? Is there some sort of event? Well, so I think, you know, so in this episode, it's established that they finally have the machine working correctly, 100%. Yep. Right. So only until that moment can they start another simulation, right? Because otherwise the simulation is not correct okay. or not, yeah. not a hundred percent. No, I like that theory though. That's a good one. Um, and then to wrap up that scene, uh, another, I, I thought great, especially, uh, musically while Lyndon is falling, uh, multiple times, uh, you have, uh, Stuart, uh, reciting this poem by Philip Larkin. I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, but it's called Obade, Obeyed. Um, but it's a really bleak poem. Uh, about death and kind of waking up and uh, just having death kind of sitting on your shoulder and not being able to escape it. Um, some really powerful, depressing, great lines in there. One of which I thought was particularly apt to the show was most things will never happen. This one will uh, kind of the, the view of the multiverse, but I, I thought that was uh, again. Yeah. Alex Garland is amazing kind of overlaying music with, with really powerful scenes. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the one thing I get out of that poem is that you don't know anything about your life. You can't predict anything about your life, but one thing is certain and that's your mortality. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very uh, ominous um, premonition about what's going to happen to all our characters yeah. in this show. Yeah. Um, nothing really can be controlled except for your eventual demise. Yep. No, that was, yeah, that, I reread the poem and that may be depressed, but it's, it's, uh, it's really, really powerful. Uh, yeah. so that was a great scene having Stuart, Stuart really crushed it in this episode. I thought, 
Um, yeah, although and, apparently he's just been hanging out in that hallway for the entire day. <laughs> the whole day. Uh, <laughs> so next up, you see Forrest entering Devs, and Stewart's just kind of, again, chilling, leaning against the hallway in and, and Devs. And uh, some, some similar sentiments to, to what Jamie echoed earlier, but you know, clearly, uh, you know, as Stewart's finishing reciting the poem, Forrest asks who it is, and Stewart asks him to guess Forrest refuses to, and Stewart doesn't seem happy about the fact that someone like Forrest, who just seems really zeroed in on this one goal and maybe doesn't see the bigger picture of what's going on, is he's the person who's making the decisions about uh, what's going on, and then uh, lets Forrest know that now the dev system works perfectly uh, after they followed Lyndon's principle, uh, which got her got him fired, and kind of calls out to force that they're not using once they stopped using his restrictive obsessions, they were able to solve uh, devs and make it work perfectly. Um, so kind of more, uh, yeah, th I thought it was a, it was a good scene uh, with Stuart there and Forrest. Yeah. Multiple times in this series, we've seen advances in the devs project by them, by any engineer stating that they've ignored Forrest's restrictions. <laughs> yep, exactly. Right. Yeah, so it's 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 interesting. It's because clearly Forrest is the head of devs, but uh, and he's leading the charge in terms of where they're focused and what they're trying to do in a lot of ways. But he's not the one who, at this point, technologically is making the breakthroughs. And I think you know a bit of a commentary on on what's going on with you know, maybe kind of a Zuckerberg type idea of you have this this guy in charge who isn't really necessarily tied into to what's going on on the tech side, but it's making a lot of decisions that have an impact on our world. You know, think of uh, Russian meddling in the election, those kind of things where um, you have this technocrat who uh, is impacting the world in a lot of ways that he doesn't really understand just because of, of what he cares about. Uh, I thought, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. He has this amazing technology and all he really cares about is whether he's guilty yep. or not in his daughter's death. Exactly. It's like, think of all the things you could do, which uh, it's, it's insane to think about what you could do with being able to look into both the past and the future. And yeah, again, he's all he's cared about and obsessed about is this one thing. Um, so we, we go back to uh, Lily and Jamie at Lily's apartment. Um, you see, Pete feeding the pigeons outside, Jamie trying to lead some sort of normal life, uh, making some water with lemon for, for Lily. And they zoom in on, uh, on Jamie's bandage on his finger that Kenton gave him as a little foreshadowing there. Um, and again, again, musically, I thought this was awesome. They had that, that sweet little mystery song playing yeah, with, by John Martin by John Martin. Okay. Had you heard that song before? Yeah, it's I think it's it's a pretty old song. Yeah. Um, but you know, just a just a nice little song to get you kind of settled and you know, relaxed. Yeah, right. Well, you'd think it's a song very carefree, but instead you have uh while it's playing, you have Kenton breaking into the house, you know, something uh awful is gonna happen while the song's playing. Uh and obviously more scenes of Pete in the background who will uh figure prominently in a bit. Um, 
And yeah, I just thought it was great with Kenton being really creepy and sneaking in that song playing in the background was, was awesome. Um, and yeah, do you want to, do you want to walk through, through the scene with, uh, as Kenton walks up to the door and is, is standing outside, uh, with Lily and Jamie inside? Um, yeah, I mean, Jamie's making some water, some lemon water for Lily and Kenton comes in and to my delight, at least kills Jamie immediately. <laughs> you're, you're one of the few people who hates Jamie. I feel like he's one of the, the more like characters uh, I, on. I will be honest when you asked me earlier, I don't know, in episode five or six, whether I thought Jamie was going to last for the, throughout the series, I, I, I said he wasn't, and I was just, you know, just joking, but I did not expect him to go this soon in the series. Um, but yeah, Kenton opens, uh, enters the apartment and immediately silences Jamie with a quick two shots. Um, and then he goes into Lily's room and tries to strangle her to death. And as most people, I think, predicted at this point, um, Homeless Pete emerges and uh, chokes Kenton to death. Um, and, and as he's doing it, he's, I think, reciting in Russian the numbers, um, which also calls back to, I think, the last episode where he uttered the word Nyet, which I think was, you know, kind of suggesting he might be a Russian spy, but, you know, not exactly confirming it. But here we have actual confirmation um, that Pete has been working with the Russians this entire time. Um, so he kills Kenton, and then afterwards he's having a conversation with Lily, and he reveals that, yeah, his initial directions were to protect Sergei. Um, but after Sergei's death, his instructions were to just watch Lily. Um, but instead, Pete decided to make his own choice and protect Lily. And that's why he intervened at this moment. That part's interesting because I think it's the first time in this series where someone kind of went against what was mm -hmm. a predetermined order and made a choice. Yep. Um, and Pete specifically said, I made a choice to protect you. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, he's like, you know, he, he tells Lily she can go to the CIA, just not the FBI or the, the police. And exactly, she needs to go to Hong Kong to be with her mom. You see her grab her passport. They very clearly zoom in on that and grab the gun uh, from beside Kenton. Um, you know, one thing I'm also wondering is, do you, as a spy who's pretending to be someone who's homeless, do you still actually get drunk and do drugs? Cause it seemed like they showed him doing a lot of that stuff. I mean, maybe it was, they only really showed him stacking up those cigarettes uh, before. So maybe he's not actually doing that, but what, like if you had to be a homeless spy, would you go all in and drink or do you have to be aware all the time so you can protect your people and maybe you just fake it? It's funny. Cause in my notes that I'm looking at right now, I have in very bold and like size 16 font question for Scott. If you were Pete, what other cover story would you propose to your boss other than being a homeless guy? Because it's like, he can monitor Lily. Yeah, he can literally just be at across the street at Dolores Park and like monitor Lily. And Lily would be none the wiser and he can still maintain her safety. Right? Like, Although, he like, doesn't have to know. be like chilling on her doorstep the entire time. I don't know, though. Like, to be honest... So when I, as a, as a spy, in terms of my quality of life, I would probably rather do anything else. Um, but in terms of being able to be around someone 24 seven, it's actually kind of genius, right? Cause there's no way you could, as a non-homeless person, be around someone's apartment 
that often and not have it be super creepy. Like as, as someone who lives on 16th street, 16th and Valencia, I've had, you know, people who post up on my stoop for weeks at a time from 10 AM to 8 PM. And you you have spies outside your apartment. I I mean, seriously, they definitely could have been a Pete, a Russian spy. Uh, Thankfully I don't have anything interesting going on in my life. So I don't know what they would be, be spying on. Um, But I guess it is kind of genius because how else would you, could you be that close to someone and not really draw attention? Because if you weren't homeless and you saw the same person outside your house, even more than a couple times a week, you'd you'd be like, what's going on here? This is drawing huge attention. So I don't know. Couldn't you just park a van across the street and just monitor them from afar? We already established in episode four that parking is not an issue in this world of San Francisco. That's fair. That I I did not enjoy that part because uh, it was not very realistic. But I don't know. I, I feel like eventually you would. It would be hard to really monitor someone twenty four seven without calling attention to yourself. Uh, yeah. Thank goodness Pete ended up being a Russian spy because if not, I don't think the Russian storyline <laughs> would have had any purpose yeah. in this yep. show whatsoever. Yeah, that would have been kind of a waste. Uh, yeah. So then uh, after we leave the apartment and Lily's heading out, we show. We see Forrest and Katie watching cave painting, or uh, not cave painting, but caves uh, in France 30,000 years ago. Um, and you know, All you with see really f- nice hair. I yeah, must right? Say. That was kind of shy. It's like they, they had uh, some product. They've been yeah. shampooing recently. Um, but, you know, you see Forrest marveling about how back then advancements were so slow, right? You had... 5,000 years apart in the caves in the same place. And they were making the same images on the wall. Um, whereas nowadays, you know, or at least when he was a kid, it was like everything changed. Uh, things changed every few days. And nowadays it's every few hours. Um, and how there's such acceleration and, you know, you have this leading up to this potential kind of singularity event with Lily heading to devs. Um, and then some, some kind of fun dialogue with, uh, them talking about, you know, basically Forrest asking Katie what what they end up doing that night until Lily shows up, and uh, because she's seen the future play out so many times, uh, she says they watched the dinosaurs on the projection. Then Forrest makes a Jurassic Park joke. Uh, then they watch uh, some home movies and just just some more mm-hmm. kind of fun dialogue uh, with Nick Offerman again doing well. Um, but we we hop back to to Lily's apartment and you know, that's when we see her very clearly grab her passport, clearly grab Kenton's gun where she picks it up, moves it over to the other side of Jamie and then picks it up again. Uh, clearly the gun is going to play some factor uh, at the end. Um, what so thing- what's her plan? Okay. So her plan, uh, wait, we, before we dive into that real quick, cause I do want to talk about that. I had some thoughts. I wanted to ask you, they show her over Jamie's body. How how sad is she about Jamie dying? I don't know. Once again, it seemed like she was kind of not that shocked yeah, about it. Yeah, she didn't seem broken up about it at all. Like either, I couldn't tell if it's a, a Katie thing where she kind of knew what was going to happen. And maybe, you know, Jamie's just this puppy dog who had his role to play. Um, but, you know, for someone who she had been with for a long time, uh, granted had broken up with, but had reconnected with. And, you know, if you saw an ex, uh, 
die in front of you, I think you'd be a little more emotional than she was. So that was that was a bit odd, I thought. Yeah, part of me wants to say that similar to Forrest, Lily somehow has seen this all before as well. And that once again explains her robotic nature that we've seen this entire series. Like she's just going through the motions of living this simulation over and over and over again. So she's just kind of like reserved to everything that she sees happen. And maybe the reason she asked Jamie to make her some water is because she knew he needed to be out in the kitchen when Kenton comes in so that Kenton kills him first, right? So this seems Mm. to me like Lily's been through all this all before. Interesting. I think, I mean, that that leads into your other question. Like it does seem like she's complicit to some extent with what's going on, right? And she can, in theory, think three steps ahead. Um, Yeah, can you imagine if Katie and Lily are both just like, in on some master grand scheme. I don't know what that would be. I don't know what it is, but it'd be cool. Because I I feel like I need something. I need something more from Lily, right? I mean, I know there's been a lot of uh, criticism of her acting in this show. I'd say a lot of which is is kind of well-deserved, but I, it just, it, it sucks to have a protagonist that you're, at least I'm not really rooting for that much. Um, I don't know, but I'm hoping there's some something there that in the in the finale that uh, that can be satisfying. Um, well, by by her grabbing her passport, I mean we're led to believe she her plan is to what go into devs, kill Forrest and Katie, and then just like flee the country. I would think so. Like the passport seems to indicate that she does plan to go to Hong Kong, uh, and the fact that she's heading to devs first. I, yeah, but again, it's like, but she it, can't wait a day, right? Like she, I, she earlier said to Jamie, like, I'm going to subvert everyone's expectations and not exactly. go to devs tonight. And so now there's a sudden need. I mean, yes, her boyfriend or whatever, her lover or whatever, Jamie just got killed. But like, she can't wait a day to do that. <laughs> like, prove, no, I, prove the prophecy false. No, 100% agree. It's like, one, she doesn't even seem that upset, upset about Jamie. Uh she was upset about Sergey before, but it seems like she's almost gotten over that. And so is she really going to not try and defy the devs team and go kill Kent or uh, go kill Forrest and or Katie? Like, why wouldn't she just defy the devs and mess with them that way? That's what's, uh, I don't know. It's yeah. Either she's really dumb or, or she does have some master plan, which would uh, be great. But the her just not thinking that through, and trying to to not defy the uh, the devs set plan of her showing up there is is kind of frustrating. But I don't know. Well, we'll see. Um, and we see her, you know, heading over to devs potentially in an Uber. It was unclear. I couldn't tell if she was driving or not. But um, you see a, a cool scene with the Amaya creepy statue and the the moon shaded by some clouds behind it was pretty cool. And then it immediately cuts to uh, the halo light that are around those devs trees. Uh, that's which we've a... seen a few times this mm-hmm. series. Yep, exactly. And this time it's right over Lily's head and a very clear halo ish, potentially, um, you know, very much Jesus imagery since we've seen that before. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, well, I guess we'll dig into some of the questions real quick, but as she's walking into the devs facility, you see 
you see Stuart again hanging there in the hallway. Still uh, there. With the, still there, just chilling and telling Lily that uh, she looks like she's a nice girl and that she should just turn around. Uh, and and uh, he says, quote, everything is inside, kind of going back to the, the box and, uh, you know, the simulation side of simulation and everything being contained within the, the dev's machine. Um, and Lily saying, I don't think I can turn around. And then Stuart saying, if you can't, you can't. That's the truth. Um, so almost a, a little more going back to Lily, where it's like, she's is she just fulfilling what she sees as this day playing out to get to, to what this kind of static singularity moment is? Um, but yeah, so what do you think? We talked a little bit about it. What do you think Lily's plan is here? She's either going to destroy the devs machine or she's going to kill Katie yeah. and Forrest. Um, I don't, I don't think she has any ideas what she's going to do beyond that. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking too. Um, you know, I think for me, trying to think what what's going on is, I think there's some some possible outcomes which range from a predictable reason the static ends, which is the machine somehow destroyed by Lily, maybe by Forrest. Um, on one end of kind of like, here's a very straightforward reason why the static would happen. Um, and then on the other end would be some sort of crazier twist uh, of, you know, we're in a simulation inside a simulation, that type of thing. Um, so I think to me, those are maybe the two ends of the spectrum in terms of kind of a more obvious straightforward ending and a very kind of twisty, crazy ending. Um, and I, I think I'm hoping for something in the middle that's still satisfying with a good twist, but that's not like a dumb, a dumb twist. But I, I still don't know exactly what Lily's trying to do since she seemed like was very intent on just defying the devs and not showing up there. Yeah, the more I think about it now, the more I kind of like my crazy theory I said earlier, which I almost just said as a joke, where they keep running this simulation within a simulation, which is why they all seemed so tired and resigned to the fact like, oh, here we go again. Um, they keep reaching this moment where they turn on a new simulation within a simulation. It works, and they're like, oh, well, now we're going to have to relive the X number of days in this, in our lives again. And I think now we're reaching the point where they're going to turn on the simulation and it doesn't work, which mm. proves that they have now reached a world where devs doesn't exist. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to your original theory. Yeah. I like that. You know, it'd be funny mm. if I were Hulu, I would release like seven different versions of the finale <laughs> to random people in the world and oh, not tell anyone that would be awesome wow yeah well i mean this would obviously be the perfect show for that to be relevant <laughs> and uh appropriate yeah imagine talking with your friend about stuff yeah and uh you have to piece like, together oh, lily <laughs> destroyed the machine you're like what are you talking about forrest killed lily oh that'd be crazy interesting i like that uh, maybe they'll do that at some point it's kind of like the the um the Black Mirror Choose Your Own Adventure. Was it Bandersnatch or something? I forget the name yeah. of it, but that was pretty cool. Um, I like that idea. I think it's uh, been done once before. I remember in the movie Clue that was released, I don't know, in the 80s or 90s, uh, they released different endings in terms of who committed the crime. It Really? In the theater, too? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that idea. But yeah, then uh, that's essentially the episode cuts with, with Lily walking into devs and 
man, I, yeah, again, like I, I thought this was uh, a really uh, not entertaining, but it's just a tense episode with a lot going on. Really made you think a lot to me. Yeah, again, much better than than in episode six, the episode prior. Um, I think you know, still in terms of of character development and some of the dialogue, especially Jamie, uh, Lily stuff, not great, but again, uh, I was, I was pretty really happy with, uh, with the episode overall. What'd you think? The show really makes your head hurt when you start to like, think about (laughs) what it's trying to suggest or tell you, or even research. (laughs) Like the moment I even try to like do more like breaking down of what, the Everett theory means or what it means to live in multiple universes or have control of what you know is going to happen. Like everything just starts to get a little more complicated in my mind and I just shut down. Oh, I mean, it's like a multiverse. The, yeah. the deeper you dig, there's more branches that come and you're like, Oh, I have to look up this. I have to look up that. And, uh, it's, it's crazy. I mentioned this in the last pod. It's like, one of my theories was that like by running a simulation with a simulation, you essentially run into a stack overflow and the whole thing just shuts down because it can't process all this um, processes anymore. Yeah. So as you say that, I do think that, I guess I'm thinking there's something that Lily does or does not do that causes the machine to either break or cease to exist. The, the latter being more your theory. Um, that's that's my current take on what happens. Um, what le- what leads to the static? But maybe she defies somehow finds a way to defy what Katie expects to happen. Well, going back to I think it was episode four where maybe maybe not an earthquake happened. Um, Stuart mentioned that the lab, I think, is what built on some established fault line. And I think Lyndon says, imagine if the EM fails and the whole structure falls into the ground. I wonder, looking back, if that is some sort of premonition as to what might happen in this episode. Like, nothing the characters do affects what happens in devs, but like a predetermined uh, event in nature takes place an earthquake by any other name and the whole facility just gets destroyed like they have no control over it it was just nature that ultimately doomed them i like that yeah i think i mean it would be it might be a little cheesy if the uh if an earthquake kind of ends things but but it uh, does kind of prove the theory that like you have really no control over your your mortality like yep it's all yep. predetermined and whatever you do, whatever actions you take ultimately is ir- irrelevant. That's a good point actually. Yeah. Like you can't overcome kind of nature, even with all the, yeah, you know, you're as a tech billionaire, there's uh, as we've seen with our current uh, pandemic situation going on. Um, you can't always, you can't overcome nature no matter how rich or powerful or smart you might think you are. We do have one more voicemail and email that I want to play. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, They both kind of ask similar questions. So I'm going to play one and then read the email, and then we can maybe address it if we have some additional thoughts. Um, But the first one is just the second part of Micah's voicemail. So I'll start with that. Number two is also with Katie. 
when she has a team of forest later when they're watching uh, 30,000 years back. And um, then Forrest says, what do we do now? And Katie says, we watch dinosaurs and then we watch old movies. Um, and then they just presumably do that again. I, I, I struggle with this. It's kind of like, why doesn't she do, do something else? Why does she have to say that's what they do and then they do it? Um, like it feels like there is some free will there and she's just not taking it or she just, maybe she doesn't want to mess with it. I'm, I, I struggle a little bit with, with Katie's interactions here because it seems like she actually has opportunity to do something different um, and then doesn't. So it kind of flies in the face of the whole premise to me. So uh, I'm not sure I totally buy that. Would love to know what you guys think. Otherwise, great podcast, uh, long-time listener, <laughs> long-time fan. Uh, I hope football comes back so we can make some bets. Um, yeah, go to it. Later. So I want to tie that in also to an email we got from Alan, and he wrote, I enjoyed this latest episode, but the thing that still really eats at me is wondering if people can seriously not alter their behavior even when it would seem trivially easy to do so. Like when the devs team is watching themselves a second ahead and they still say the exact same thing their counterparts say and make the same exact gestures a second later. Yep, I, I had the exact same notes on that. I, I think maybe we talked about this a little earlier, but mm -hmm. you know, pretty much what would happen, yeah, if you had more time, say you had 10 seconds of lead time and you could kind of disrupt what you supposedly saw on the, the quote mirror. Um, but yeah, and, and, and to Micah's question too around Katie, you know, I think a lot, a lot of what uh, has come up in this is, you know, being able to see your future and potentially disrupting it, which on a meta level is kind of interesting, right? Like I bet there's a lot of people who kind of know maybe they're doing the wrong thing or going down the wrong path and they're headed in a certain direction. And you know, there are some easy ways to, to change that, right? But you just, you know, willingly decide not to. Uh, maybe I'm getting a little, a little too deep in meta there, but um, you know, it's it's a tough topic when, like, yeah, in theory, if you have that 10 second lead time and the projection, you could just not uh, do what you see there. Yeah, I mean, every time this question comes up of when you look into the future, why can't you do something different than what you just looked at? I I generally have two viewpoints of it. The first one is the future you've looked at has already taken into account that you've looked into the future and have made actions based on you looking in the future. So it's not like when you look into the future, that's the future that would play out if you did not look into it. Right. So it's already, it's already accounted that like you looked in the future, you saw what's going to happen mm -hmm. and yet you still yep. did it. Yeah. So everything's already pre played out. So even though you saw it five seconds in advance, you're still going to do it because the future already knew you saw that five second yeah. projection. So that's number one. Number two, maybe you did change your behavior, but you changed it in a different multiverse, right? So you just happen to be conscious in the universe where you didn't change your behavior. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. And I think it's, yeah, again, it hurts your head to think through, through that. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely one of the, the more common questions we're getting on our, our, viewer voicemail or a listener voicemails and emails uh, is some something very tough for people to grab uh, grapple with. Well, cool. I'm, I'm stoked for, for the ending. I thought, yeah, again, this was, this was by far the best episode of the, 
of the series in my in my view. Um, do you think that in the last episode, Forrest is reunited with some form of Amaya? Be it a projection, be it real Amaya, he, or you know, a slightly different Amaya with four hairs different on her head. What do you think? I kind of see at this point the series ending on an open-ended note, mm-hmm. where it'll kind of be like, um, what was that Christopher Nolan movie? Inception. Inception, yeah, where it ends on a ambiguous mm-hmm. finale, and it's up to you to determine uh-huh. how you interpret it. Maybe it's like you see Forrest talking on the phone again. Yeah, with his but you wife. don't know who he's talking to. You don't know to. if she, or you don't know if she's getting into the crash or not. Oh yeah, but, that's true. Um, yeah, I definitely feel it's going to end with a repeat of a scene we've seen earlier. Yeah, like it, yeah. it feels like we're it'll loop back to something. That's why I think it might be that scene because they just replayed that scene for a second time with with Nick Offerman on yeah. the phone with his wife, but. Like maybe he's talking to his wife and his wife's like, I don't feel comfortable talking and driving at the same time. And Forrest is like, okay, well, I'm going to hang up. And it just yeah, ends. It could be that. Cut the, cut the black. So I had a had a quick odd and end, odd or end for you. Okay. Um, so remember the scene with Stuart talking with Forrest in the hallway and you hear Stuart ask him who was Mark Antony? Yes. Did you do you know where I'm going with this one? Or is this gonna blow your mind? I'm gonna I already looked into the future and I'm gonna guess you're gonna somehow tie this into John Wilkes Booth. Oh I thought about going that direction, but then Oh, we're the branching into branch, a different verse. We're branching into a different multiverse, which is uh that uh last night when this episode aired, there was a Jeopardy technically an answer, but really a question. And the correct response was, who was Mark Antony? The exact phrase that Stuart uh, uttered the same night, which is pretty crazy. It was, you know, some question about, you know, who was the other, uh, you know, uh, Roman emperor or whatever. Um, uh, That was pretty crazy, I thought, that within a few hours, you had a Jeopardy response, the correct response being, who was Mark Antony? Uh, right around when Stuart uttered the same phrase. So that was wow. random trivia. But I think a you crazier were going to... Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear your crazier coincidence. I, I didn't look into this too deeply, but I did see somewhere on Reddit, someone mentioning that maybe, I mean, John Wilkes Booth, who assassinated Abraham Lincoln, yep. was an established actor and had played Mark Anthony um, in one of his productions. But what stood out to me was the fact that he assassinated Abraham Lincoln on around April 15th, which is either a day or two from when this finale airs mm-hmm. next week, ah. <laughs> which obviously is just a huge total coincidence, but it's just funny when something aligns like that. Yep. And we should, I think to, to be clear, point out that Abraham Lincoln was one of the projections or, you know, replays that we saw uh, the devs devs board looking at. So that's correct. What do you think? the last shot of episode oh. eight will be. So small possibility it's forest happy and reunited with Amaya. Okay. Um, I don't think that's a huge, that's like a less than 2% chance. Um, it could be something with Katie, like looking 
creepily and ominously over over something. Um, and then there could be something with Lily, maybe. She's kind of looking at projections and uh, figuring out how, how to have played this whole scenario, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, it could also be just some random, you know, cave cavemen scene again or <laughs> some weird uh you know landscape shot of something but or, or the devs devs facility blowing up or imploding or something yeah. like that i think it ends with jamie in another universe turning on the devs machine to see if he has a chance with lily <laughs> your favorite your favorite story <laughs> line and now that i feel bad that he's dead i, I really hope there's some redemption arc yeah, <laughs> if I feel I feel bad for being so harsh on him, I know. Um, but no, seriously, I, I I think I think the series ends with some kind of loop back to a scene we've seen yeah. previously, uh, proving that we're all you know just in a infinite in loop a here. Yeah, yeah, kind of going back to time is a flat circle. circle. Yeah, that's right. I think I think it'll be something like that. Uh, but anyways, well, uh, I think that does it for this episode. Anything else you want to toss in before we hop off? No, I'm excited for episode eight, the season finale. Yeah, it's crazy. It's already, already uh, toward the end. Um, again, if you if you have any uh, voicemails or emails, James, you want to give the quick info on where to leave those. Uh, yeah, if you want to reach us, you can either email talkingdevs at gmail or you can call our voicemail line and dial that at eight one eight eight six zero zero four two one. That's eight one eight eight six zero zero four two one yeah we love we love hearing from you guys it's been awesome reading those and listening to those and playing some of those on our on our pod so please keep doing that we'll we'll definitely be uh doing a, a show obviously after episode eight we're really excited to see see what happens then so if you have any questions or comments or feedback or anything uh, you know let us know also if you want to rate us or subscribe to to our feed too we love we love that as well so um yeah we'll Thanks for tuning in. Jimmy, thank you, as always, for joining. Uh, we're, we're pumped for, for next week. Can't wait uh, to see what happens. Thanks. See you all next week.